Good morning and welcome to Fellowship Church. Whether you are joining us online or in person, we are so glad that you are here with us today. This morning, I want to invite you to come and see Jesus on this third Sunday of Lent. So will you join me in a responsive call to worship from Psalm 86. You, Lord, are forgiving and good, abounding in love to all who call to you. Bring joy to your servants, Lord, for we put our trust in you. Among the gods, there is none like you, Lord. No deeds can compare with yours. All the nations you have made will come and worship before you, Lord. They will bring glory to your name. Teach us your way, Lord, that we may rely on your faithfulness. Give us undivided hearts that we may fear your name. You, Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. We will praise you, Lord, our God, with all our hearts. We will worship your name forever. Now, would you stand with us in body or in spirit as we continue in worship singing, When Morning Gilds the Sky? Yeah. 
seated. The peace of Christ be with you. Friends, today we continue on our Lenten journey where we are invited by Jesus to come and see what life is like with him. And also we've been journeying uh, with a Lenten devotional where we have been discovering by practice that less is more. Thus far, we've cut back on junk food, hurry sickness, screen time, and today on aimless shopping is our focus for this upcoming week. In John chapter 10, it was Jesus who said to those around him, he said, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come, says Jesus, I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. And so with the Gospels, we look to Jesus as the light of the world and trust that as we come to him, he will light up our lives as well. So I invite you to join me in a prayer of confession, beginning with the words that are on the screen. O Lord, you desire truth in our inward being. Teach us wisdom in our deepest heart. Come, let us, come to us with your light. Come to us with your truth. So we may set down the many burdens that keep us from following you. Let's join together in prayer. Today, O God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we come before you to confess all the ways that we overclutter our lives with all kinds of stuff and essentially crowd you out, out of sight and out of mind. We admit that if there ever was a way to permanently distract the world, it's happening now. Infinite browsing mode. We have it in our stores as we go from aisle to aisle and rack to rack. And it happens on the internet as well, as there is always yet another thing to click on alongside the suggestion that if you like this, you might also like this other thing too. And so we wander and keep on browsing, always searching and never finding a thing that truly satisfies. We have closets full of clothes. Do we need another shirt? We have houses full of electronic gizmos. Do we need newer ones? And about those things that we keep lusting after in the marketplace, help us, O oh God, to know the difference between buying things that we need and shopping for something we don't need at all. The great church, church leader of long ago, St. Augustine, who confessed that our hearts are restless until they find rest in you, O God, it was he who also named the important difference between using things and enjoying them. Only you, O God, and other people are to be enjoyed. Everything else is to be used for the enjoyment of you and one another. So today I wonder, do we dare, O oh God, let you be Lord even of our shopping life? Will we let go of the purse strings? Can we shop less and share more? 
we are mindful that it was Jesus who said, you cannot serve two masters. It was Jesus who said that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It was Jesus who said that it is better to give than to receive. And it was Jesus who warned the church of the temptation to forsake our first love. So today we confess the ways that we've wasted life, shopping for stuff that we don't need. We confess our failure to share with those who actually do need. And we confess the ways our pursuit of more has kept us from seeing you more in the everyday ordinary, even your face in the person right before us. And now in the hope of Jesus' ability to make right whatever is wrong in us, we ask, please, forgive our hustling and our hoarding. Forgive our waywardness and our wandering. Grant instead contentment with what we have. Concern for what others lack. And confidence in you, O God, our provider, who has made this world so that there really is enough for all if we all are willing to share. Join me again in the words on the screen. O Lord, you desire truth in our inward being. Teach us wisdom in our deepest heart. Come to us with your light. Come to us with your truth. So we may come to you and see Amen. G.
Well, good morning, fellowship. The Lord be with you. My name is Jess Mix, and I'm the Minister of Creative Arts and Worship here at Fellowship. The lyrics of that last song we just sang is really, it captures the heart of what our mission is here. It's to love God and others as an accepting community centered in Christ and focused on developing faithful followers of Jesus. We seek to embody that mission in this hour that we spend together, gathered on Sunday mornings. We also seek to have that mission overflow into the rest of our week, that worship that focused on Jesus, accepting others. We, we do that in a variety of ways, and part of our worship together is actually to notice and pause at this moment to notice where God is at work in our community specifically, to celebrate those things and to be invited further into it. So one thing we're celebrating this week um, is that last Sunday we had our final pastoral candidate with us, Tiara Marshall, and she preached. And we just want to say thank you for coming, for engaging, for those of you who joined us online and in person, for your votes. Um, if you haven't seen the email yet, um, our consistory did vote vote unanimously to extend the call to Tierra to join Nate and Ross on the pastoral leadership team, part of our shared leadership. So it's exciting news, and we do just, yeah, let's, let's clap. <laughs> Absolutely. We'll keep you in the loop um, as that process develops and continues, um, and we just want to say primarily thank you. Thank you for coming. Thank you for engaging the process. Um, it was a very good and full day. Uh, this coming week, we have two pretty cool opportunities for everybody. This is for everybody, so don't tune out. This is for young all the way to old <laughs> um, and in between. Uh, we have a couple of opportunities to both belong and serve in our community. This Wednesday night, we have our community night dinner, which is at 5.45 p.m., and that's typical for Wednesday nights. But what's not typical is right after that, we're going to do a service project together. We're going to be painting some hand I always get this wrong, personal hand-powered pet carts. Yes, those up there. If you want to see one um, in person, closer up, and you're here with us in person, there's one in the atrium that you can check out. Uh, these, we're going to be painting them and then giving them to Mobility Worldwide. They're an organization that then helps those who uh, have mobility concerns be mobile, who would not otherwise be able to be. So that's a really awesome thing to be a part of. Um, no previous skills in painting pet carts required. You can just come and show up, uh, come early for the meal, and, and stay for the service project. Um, and then a week from today, uh, Sunday, March 27th, late afternoon, early evening, it's 4 p.m. to 6 p.m., we are going to all, the whole church, everybody, is invited to do this ice, it's not ice skating, roller skating, whew, roller skating at this uh, rink in Holland called Roll Escape. Um, we would love for you to sign up because dinner is included, the skates are included, you don't have to bring your own. Um, it's just a fun opportunity to hang out together with people from fellowship, maybe to get to know others who you don't know yet. Um, it's $5 a person, and I did the math for you. If you have more than three people in your family, it is definitely a savings. So you're welcome for doing the math for you. Uh, $15 per family there. Sign up online. Check out more details in our bulletin, on our website, for any of these things. Um, we would just love to, to have you join us for that. And then we have one other opportunity that's a little bit out of um, beyond us, so we're just inviting you to save the date. We've got spring break between now and then. We know lots of things will be forgotten. So save the date for April 14th during Holy Week. We are just 
almost halfway through the season of Lent. Holy Week is that final week as we approach Easter, and we're going to be doing something a little bit different as a church. Um, We're going to be gathering on Thursday evening this year um, to have a service that kind of focuses on Jesus' final hours of both the Maundy Thursday communion and also the Good Friday Passion theme. So we'll be doing that on Thursday evening, April 14th. Save the date. Um, We hope you'll be able to join us, and that will be a meaningful way together as we head towards Easter. So this morning, God has gathered us for worship. We have sung praises. We have engaged in a prayer of confession. We have been reminded of the forgiveness that we've received. And now as we turn our hearts towards hearing God's word spoken and preached, we recognize our dependence upon the Holy Spirit. So this next song is really a prayer that we would like to engage in together um, to just ask the Holy Spirit to open our hearts to speak in whatever ways we need to hear from God today. And at this time, I'd also invite our kids ages three years through eighth grade to head out with Miss Betsy. Um, And you guys have, and also Hannah, we've got the middle schoolers uh, today doing Sunday school. So learning in their ways. Um, Let's stand together and sing Spirit of the Living God, descend, sorry, Spirit of God, descend upon my heart. Indeed, may that song be our prayer that we might seek thee and thee only find. 
We're continuing our series in the Gospel of John this morning with the reading from John chapter 14. It's a big chapter, and last week was a pretty big week, as we uh, recognized just a moment ago with Tira preaching, yes, and she preached on Jesus washing the disciples' feet, but it's also a pretty significant shift in our Gospel reading of John. We move from the first half, the book of signs, to the second half of the Gospel of John, the book of glory, and most of these readings then from now until Lent take place in Jesus' final moments here on earth. John chapter 14 is the beginning of what will be uh, a lot of Jesus talking. It's called the farewell discourse and it's the final sermon Jesus offers in the gospel of John to his disciples. We'll begin our reading this morning from John chapter 14 with the first verse. You can follow along in the Bible, your Bibles or uh, on the words on the screen if you'd like. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, so that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will know my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said said to him, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you all this time, Philip, and you still do not know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. But if you do not, then believe the works, then, uh, then believe me because of the works themselves. Very truly I tell you, The one who believes in me will also do the work that I do, and in fact will do greater than these, because I am going to the Father. I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask in my name for anything, I will do it. This is the word of the Lord. A couple weeks ago, I had the opportunity to enjoy some beverages after work with a fellowshipian, if that's what you'd like to call yourselves. We had never really met one-on-one before, but we had greeted one another in the atrium, so we had a lot to talk about. We caught up a little bit on some of the small talk of the day and then shared a little bit about vocation and family and growing up. And then the conversation turned to the agenda item that he had kind of warned me he wanted to talk about. He said, you know, Pastor, this war in Ukraine thing has gotten me thinking a lot. It's got me thinking about life and death and what happens when we die. What, what do you think happens when we die? 
great question, I was thinking internally, certainly a wondering I'm sure many of us have had, and in a moment of either pastoral wisdom or complete sheepishness, I turned the question back on him, and I said, what do you think? To my delight, uh, with a little smirk on his face, he proved that it was full of pastoral wisdom when he said, I think we go to a big house with lots and lots of rooms and lots and lots of food where we can play football. <laughs> Which is supremely clever if you know me or if you know the band Audio Adrenaline and their famous song, Big House. It's a fun song, and they loosely base it on John chapter 14. If you don't know this song, I have a little clip for you. We can do some motions if you want. You know it now, don't you? Come on. Some of you at least were nodding. Oh yeah, we got a little clap and there we go. It's a big house with lots and lots of room and lots and lots of food where we can play football. Come on. It's a modern vision of heaven and it's one I can totally get behind. Catchy lyrics, upbeat music. And I think this song totally misses the point of John chapter 14 which regretfully too many songs in Christian radio do, but that's for another sermon. Anyway, because John 14 is not a word about what heaven looks like. John 14 is in Jesus' farewell discourse, and particularly in this opening lines of it, a word of encouragement to his band of troubled disciples. Jesus begins his sermon with the familiar words, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God and also believe in me. Speaking of music, this verse could, you know, easily be mm, imagined as a Bob Marley song, you know? Do, don't let, don't let, don't let your hearts be troubled. Is that country or reggae? I don't know. The point is, the disciples are not relaxing listening to reggae poolside with Mai Tais and paper umbrellas sitting on the beach of spring break. No, no. They don't need to hear a word like, don't let your hearts be troubled in those moments. The disciples are spinning. They're anxious, they're concerned, and they're confused about what's about to happen. Days ago, they had just entered into Jerusalem, and Jesus, their teacher, their Messiah, the one that they had uh, followed for the last number of years, made these claims that he isn't going to make it out of Jerusalem, that he might even die on a cross here, that the story is going to end soon. And not only did he say this, but all of Jerusalem is in a little bit of an uproar. We've been telling you as we read, or we've been talking about as we read through the Gospel of John about how Jesus and the Pharisees are often at odds with one another, and now the Pharisees want to arrest Jesus. They want to get rid of him for good. And you have to wonder if the disciples weren't wondering themselves, 
are they going to arrest me? Not only that, but Judas, the guy that they had been following and walking alongside of for the last number of years, was sitting at the table literally hours ago with them and has been pointed out by Jesus as the one that is going to betray Jesus and has been excused from the disciples. And then, literally moments ago, Peter, the one who is quick to speak, full of faith and charisma, you might say, has just been stunned into silence by Jesus because he says that he's going to betray him three times. Everything seems to be unsettled for these disciples. The external threats from the leaders in town, the internal family system of the disciples is in disarray, and their leader, Jesus, is not behaving like the Messiah they hoped that he would become. He's not entering into Jerusalem triumphantly. Instead, he's claiming that this is his last stop. The disciples' hearts certainly had reason to be troubled. Life is not going to plan. We know what that's like, don't we? I know that many of us have troubled hearts as well. We know disappointment over the way things are supposed to go. We know looking into the future and not really liking what we see. And in the stillness of our hearts, we have big questions too. How how will my life go on without this loved one around? What does this diagnosis mean for me, for my family? What if my surgery or my treatments don't work? What's going to happen with this war that's happening overseas? Will gas prices keep rising? Will I be able to pay my bills? And and what if our country is forced to act out in in military ways? Might I be drafted? Might it be World War III? Jesus' response to his disciples' troubled hearts and to our troubled hearts might be the same. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Which, if we're honest, at first glance, seems like really, really bad therapeutic advice. I mean, can you imagine going to a counselor and confessing, Dr. My marriage, it's on the rocks. I'm struggling in all kinds of ways. And and the counselor responds with, Don't struggle. Get your marriage off the rocks. Come on, pull up your bootstraps. And maybe it would be bad advice from a disembodied stranger like a counselor. But I still stand by my conviction that this passage is primarily a word of encouragement to a a, a band of troubled disciples. Why? Because it's a word about God's presence with us in our troubled hearts, from Jesus Christ himself. Which has me wondering, what do you think the tone of Jesus' voice was when he shared the opening lines of this sermon? Was it full of divine confidence and gospel bravado because he is God and he knows how this story is going to end? Or was it with a little quiver in his voice a tear in his eye like he had when he wept for his 
friend, Lazarus, who died, empathetic for what the disciples were about to go through because he is human and he knows their pain. In an effort to better understand what Jesus may have meant, I looked to the Greek, you know, because that's what we do, right? Uh, truth be told, I didn't really look to the Greek. Some biblical commentary pointed this out for me, and I'm going to pawn or steal his or her uh, advice. But the key to understanding maybe the mood of Jesus' words might be in the translation of the Greek word for to believe or to trust. Pistu is the Greek word. And it's not so much the meaning of belief or trust, it's actually in how the verb is conjugated. You know conjugation from those DOL lessons that you did when you were in elementary school. No, just kidding. That was a bad, bad moment in my life. But, and I'm not really a, a very good grammar person. That's my wife. Uh, she can help me with this or help you, us with this better. But the key is in how we uh, interpret or translate the conjugation of the word, uh, verb, believe. Conjugation, you know, like uh, to run is, can be uh, conjugated as to run in the past tense, or I'm going to go for a run in the, in the future tense, or I am running right now in the present tense. Well, the verb pistu is spelled the exact same way whether this verb is in the indicative mood or the imperative mood. It's a little confusing, so I have a slide for you. So let's use the example of you run fast, a simple English word. So if it's in the, we're going to start with the right because we're, uh, you know, Hebrew or whatever. Indicative mood, uh, it, it's, it's descriptive. It conveys information as a fact. So if you were to use the English sentence, you run fast, it would be like, you run fast, Jordan, because you can run a mile in less than five minutes. It's descriptive. Jordan is fast. You run fast. Whereas in the imperative mood, it's a command. Ross, run fast. Jordan is catching up to you. Or she already caught up to you. She probably passed you. But and regardless, you get what I'm saying. The, the, so if we were to use the same uh, imperative indicative mood for the word believe in Greek, in the imperative mood, it would be believe in God. Believe also in me. Whereas in the Indicative mood, it's more of a description of what is already true. You believe already in God. Believe also, or you already also believe in me. You, you kind of get the difference here between the indicative and the imperative? I think how we interpret this word for belief gives us a clue as to the tone of Jesus' voice when he said, let not your hearts be troubled. It could be either, according to the Greek language. It could be the indicative. It could be the imperative. So maybe we should explore both as a key to understanding the rest of the passage. First, let's consider the imperative mood. Translated this way, this chapter or these verses might be more like a halftime speech, maybe like the halftime speech that Coach Morehouse gave to the Hope College women's basketball team who won the national championship. Come on. Let's go Dutch. Or go Hope. Well, yeah, all of the above. Anyway. 
Jesus' voice in this case might be filled with the gospel bravado and divine confidence that we would expect. It's the fourth quarter, guys. Things are going to get tough for us. The cross is going to challenge both you and me. The enemy is going to seem like he's winning, but hear me when I say this. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. It's going to be tough, but we got this. We can do it. Trust me. Belief and trust is a command, an appeal for the future from Jesus himself. And if this is so, it changes how we read the rest of the story or the rest of the, the sermon. When Jesus talks about a dwelling place for us, it's, it's, it's for a hoped-for future. No matter how hard it gets, my friends, someday you will experience relief from the challenges, from the troubles of this world. If not now, certainly in eternity. I got you. I'm with you. It's why we read this text at funerals. When life ends and on earth, it's only the beginning of an eternal bliss with God. And then when Jesus talks about being the way, the truth, and the life, it's an appeal for us to trust in Jesus. When we believe in him, we know the destination. We know how the story is going to end. No matter how bad it gets here, no matter what happens with us or in this world, we can trust and believe in Jesus and God's good future because we know the way, the truth, and the life is Jesus. If belief is in the imperative mood, this passage is primarily a promise of eschatological hope, which is a fancy way of saying a future reality that comes when we encounter God face to face in the next life. When I was a kid, my parents had some really close friends. Their names were Dave and Mary, and along with their two daughters and another, set, another couple and their kids, our families became really, really tight. Most Friday nights, we'd go out for dinner at a Mexican restaurant together, and if we didn't enjoy Mexican on Friday night, we'd go to somebody's house on Saturday night. They were the kind of friends for my parents that uh, meant that I would even call them aunt and uncle. Aunt Mary, Uncle Dave, we went on vacations together and not just spent a lot of time together, but we knew each other. And I was given the chance to get to know their parents and their siblings, and they knew my grandparents and my aunts and uncles. So when Aunt Mary's Dad, Jay Weiner, died at the young age of 67. We were devastated with them. And I still, to this day, remember going to his funeral. He was a pastor for most of his life, but in the later years, he became a professor of preaching at Western Theological Seminary in Holland, and that's when I had the chance to briefly get to know him. So at his funeral, there were the the congregation was very large. He was young, and he knew a lot of folks. But what some people might not have known is in those later years when he was a professor, he actually loved to sing in the choir. And so the choir even came out uh, because they loved Jay. And I remember as we wept our way through the funeral, remembering this great man and how he had died too young, 
the very end of the service, the choir stood up and they invited us as the congregation to stand up as well. The organ started playing super loud and then the choir began to sing. Oh, when the saints come marching in, oh, when the saints come marching in, oh, how I long to be in that number. Oh, when the saints come marching in. A triumphant song requested by Jay himself in the scribbles of his notes as what his funeral might look like someday because he wanted us to remember, yes, this is a sad day, but this is a good day because I am going into the company of saints and meeting my God face to face. This is the encouragement that comes when we interpret believe in the imperative mood. Don't be fearful of death. Nothing in this world can tear you apart from the love of God and Jesus Death is only the start of something even better than this. Therefore, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God and believe also in me. And, and we can interpret believe with the indicative mood. In this way, this verse is embodied more like I imagine a hospice chaplain offering encouragement to a grieving family. Jesus' words here then come with a quiver in his throat and a tear in his eyes. Friends, brothers and sisters, I know what lies ahead for you and for me. It's gonna get really hard. We will doubt and our hearts will be troubled. Remember who you are. Remember who you belong to. You believe, you believe in God and have for your whole life long, and you trusted in me even as the last couple weeks have gotten really, really hard. Belief and trust in the indicative sense is an affirmation of the past fuels our faithfulness in the future. If this is the tone of Jesus' words, it changes how we read the rest of the passage as well, doesn't it? So when Jesus speaks of dwellings, Jesus might not only be referring to our eternal home, but also the promise of God to dwell, to abode with us here and now. Interestingly enough, the word for dwellings or these rooms that God, Jesus is preparing for us is the same root word as abide, which we will read about in the next chapter, John 15, when Jesus famously says, abide in me as I in you. Jesus is going to prepare a place for us, yes, but he's also going to that place via suffering. He's abiding in suffering. Jesus isn't escaping the hard times. He's entering into it and places himself as a human being right smack in the midst of it and going to the cross. Why is Jesus embarking on such a troublesome journey? To pave the way for relationship with us that's authentic and not absent 
from the troubles that we too experience. And not only that, but when Jesus talks about being the way, the truth, and the life, then Jesus is revealing that the way to glory, the way to that eternal bliss is through a relationship with him, through the Father, with the Father through him, that he is the way to life abundant. And the way to life abundant is via the cross. In surrendering himself for the sake of humanity which is really, really good news because Jesus bears that responsibility for us. Even when we have troubled hearts, even when we aren't sure we believe, even when we have doubts about who he is, Jesus carries faith for us because he is the way, the truth, and the life. Some have tried to use this verse as a club to argue with non-believers to convince them that, they, that Jesus is the only way and you have to believe in him. But in reality, it's a word of encouragement to his disciples saying that when times are trouble, troublesome, I have walked through that way with you. The Father bears responsibility for us because of what the Son has done. Jesus carries us in our faith when we have troubled hearts, amidst our doubts, amidst our unbelief, and amidst our failures. If we, if believe is translated in the indicative mood, it's a word of comfort to those with troubled hearts that Jesus has faith in you even when you're not sure you can have faith in him. Maybe a really, really weak illustration is that of Superman. Superman obviously had lots of powers and God has umpteen more power and authority and yet he voluntarily chooses to be Clark Kent, to take on flesh, to endure suffering and enter into the human experience so that he might have relationship with you and me. In the indicative mood, belief is an encouragement to, to us that no matter what hell we experience on earth, Jesus already has experienced it first. He is dwelling with you in the midst of your suffering. I'm not really sure how John intended for this verse to be interpreted. Is it an imperative, a halftime speech of sorts, full of divine confidence and gospel bravado that Jesus is encouraging us that he is going to win in the end? Or does it start with the indicative, like a chaplain with a quiver in his voice and a tear in his eye, offering an affirmation of our past belief in him and his promise that nothing we go through in this life he hasn't gone through first. Maybe the ambiguity is John's point. Maybe Jesus has the capacity to hold both. Maybe Jesus can be both divine and human, coach and chaplain. Maybe he can come to us in whatever way we need. At a perilous time in human history when when we're on the heels of a global pandemic, with countries at war with one another, and our own nation is more divided than it ever has been. Many in our community are struggling with mental health challenges, all on top of the normal heartache and heart trouble we experience in sickness, death, and broken relationships. 
when everyone is literally seeking to have their hearts a little less troubled, to know that God is with us both now and for eternity, that Jesus was literally willing to go to hell and back for our salvation so that we might know the lengths that he would go to be in relationship with us, seems to me that he is the only one who can truly and authentically and in an embodied way say to us, don't, don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God and believe also in me. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. As we respond in song, I invite you to stand. Let's join our voices together.
place into a new week, I invite you to turn and face one another using the center aisle as your center point. Kind of turn and face this group towards this group over here. Extend a hand. You are going to offer the blessing to one another as you go into this week. And may the light of your faces shine on one another, even as the Lord makes his face to shine on each of us.